Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. You sound good. Oh, I'm really hot. It's really humid. I know. You have the fucking AC now. Yeah, it's true. I'm really the perfect temperature. It's great. You're moving up. Michael, hi. How are you? I'm fine. I'm, I'm hot. I tried a new flavor of potato chip. Oh. I'll show you. Red Hot Ranch. It was a mistake. You didn't like it. Well, it's fine. I'm trying to look for that good copycat of all-dressed potato chips, which is made by Ruffles, but they're just hard to find. Why don't you just get those ones? They're hard to find. Oh, the all-dressed is hard to find. Order them online. Yeah, I could do that. So you're hot. You're moved in with your girlfriend. Moved in. You're moved in with your boyfriend. We'll get to me in a second. right. How's living with your girlfriend? How's your girlfriend's dog? Known and loved by all. Dog is great. Girlfriend is great. Girlfriend is very reassuring that she actually does enjoy my company and my presence in her life. What a sweetie. Even when I don't enjoy my own company and presence in my life. Mm -hmm. Critical stuff. That's interesting. I mean, that's the first time I've ever lived with anyone who's been so emphatic about... Enjoying you? Yeah, about enjoying me. Aw, that's good. Good for you. That isn't a dig at you, Hava. Oh, it's fine. You're talking girlfriends. We were not girlfriends by the time you moved in no no we were girlfriends instead exactly so i'm fine i got my mason jars i've been filling them with uh, nuts (laughs) and you know chickpeas (sighs) and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i got my metal shelf i kind of think of the apartment as a game of risk she has the advantage because she already lives here and i have to claim territory and i'm rolling dice and making strategic moves. she's fighting a defensive war she has the upper hand i feel like i've claimed a pretty good stake on the kitchen is she domestic you're very domestic yeah she's domestic Although she's going to be filming a feature-length movie the next few weeks, so I'm on dog babysitting duty and driving duty. This is like a micro-budget thing that she's working on. Interesting. Maybe we'll let the listeners know when it comes out or something, and they can go to the premiere if it's, you know, if they're on the East Coast. Uh, It's a super gay movie from head to toe. From head to toe. Just how I like it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How are you, Hava? (sighs) Baruch Hashem. I'm mostly well. This is my first day in my new house with my boyfriend, which is beautiful. You can see over my shoulder my assembled cat tree. Oh, yeah. You see it? It's big. White carpet style. Mm -hmm. It's fleece, actually, like soft fleece. Oh. Yeah. It's really cute, and I'm really happy. Living with my boyfriend is great so far for this one day I've been doing it. I did have a really confusing and upsetting morning this morning. I got on my boyfriend's insurance, which I was going to use to have top surgery. And I called up the person I want to have surgery with, who a friend of mine has already had surgery with a couple years ago, who's a trans woman. And I said, oh, blah, blah, blah. I went through a whole rigmarole, getting ready to set up a consultation. A couple minutes into the call, I was like, by the way, I'm a trans woman, so my insurance will be covering this. And the receptionist was like, oh, I'm glad you said that because we don't do that kind of top surgery. We only do conventional top surgery, a conventional breast augmentation. What? I was like... Well, that's not true. I called you because my friend has already had surgery with this guy. And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That has never happened in the time that I've been here. And I'm like, that's insane. I feel really like gaslit in this moment. Like, what the fuck is happening? 
So I don't know how that's going to work itself out. I don't know. It's like, I don't know whether I should call back and like insist harder that they do do it. Or if I should just give up and look for a new surgeon. Listeners, tweet me your advice genuinely because I don't know what the fuck to do about this. How is conventional, quote unquote, breast augmentation different? Right. It's not. The other thing that my boyfriend brought up, I could be like, this is discriminatory. You know, I'm on an out and out basis. It's like literally the same procedure. They just won't do it because I'm trans. That it feels discri- It feels like it feels like straight up discrimination. Sounds like the person you talked to might have been a fool. But I don't know if she's gonna be working every day or what. In my mind, I think maybe just the receptionist thinks it's some kind of big deal and thinks it's some kind of other procedure. And she's not educated on all that stuff. And just because they haven't had a trans woman client since she's been there, her uneducatedness is obstructing me. So I don't know. I guess I'll probably call back and hassle them. So that's kind of taking up a lot of mental space in my mind right now. And I'm not sure how to move forward on it. So tweet me, listeners. Tell me what to do. Yeah, but otherwise, just like moved in with my boyfriend. And that's really blissful and magical and i'm just like enjoying that and getting ready for my cat to come tomorrow well i'm excited to see the cat on video me too in real life it's gonna be good um okay let's talk about some talmud yeah let's do it let's do it okay so today we are going to the illustrious pages of bava metzia 83a bava metzia is one of those three tractates we've talked about before that have to do with torts and property law and civil cases it's a three-part series that has to do with talmudic torts Mm -hmm. so we're in this area of talmud dealing with civil law and our sugya starts Someone who hires laborers and tells them, come early, stay late, in a place where this is not the custom, they're not permitted to compel them to come early and stay late. Oh. Yeah. The word for coming in early, which here is lechashchim, comes from shechem, shoulder in Hebrew. And the original meaning there is sort of to load the back of the beast which is usually done early in the morning and later developed the meaning of to rise and do something early. So that's just a fun little bit of etymological trivia. And then I really like the strict translation of he is not permitted to compel them to do this thing. He cannot claim power to bend them. Power to bend them. So he does not have the power to bend them to his will to make them come early and stay late okay so that's pretty cool yeah basic workers rights stuff (laughs) yeah just so basic we don't have it in our country we go on a little bit so that was in the mishnah and now we're in the gemara responding to that and the gemara says peshitta obviously obviously can't do this because we established earlier in this masechet labor practices are generally done according to the custom of where you are so if it's not the custom to rise early and stay late where you are We don't need a Mishnah to come tell us again because we already know it goes according to local practice. So the Gemara is going to tell us why did we have to have this Mishnah telling us what we already knew. (laughs) 
דמקדימטו ומחשכתו בהדה כמשמלן דאמרו לי היידתפת לן אדעתה דרבדינן לך שפירתה. That mess of Aramaic came to say, no, the reason we have this Mishnah is because there might be a case where the employer says to the workers, I raised your wages, and so you should know that that means you need to come early and stay late because I'm paying you more, so now I can compel you to do that by giving you more money. The Mishnah comes to say that the laborers can respond, you increased our wages with the understanding that we will perform quality work for you. So the Gemara comes to tell us that the reason we had this Mishnah restate this thing that we really already knew is because we needed to affirm that essentially these workers have the right to negotiate their own terms of employment. In Mishnah and Talmud, when you see redundancy in Tanakh, that must mean that there's some alternate meaning, because if it's the word of God, then there needs to be some hidden meaning. We're doing that actually on Mishnah right now. Yes, we're doing it on Mishnah instead of on Tanakh. Well, you know, sounds good to me. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with the logic of why it's redundant. You know, I don't necessarily subscribe to that scriptural interpretive method. The point really is not whether you subscribe to the method. I subscribe to the madness. A lot of times in Talmud, I think the end justifies the interpretive method, you know. Right. Whoever was creating this Gemara found it morally objectionable that you might think that you could pay people more and compel them against their own will to come early and stay late. And so they found an interpretive method that would allow them to create this workers' power movement. And, you know, the point of digging up these kind of pieces of sort of cool labor power, union power, whatever, whatever kind of liberatory stuff we're digging up in the Talmud, it's not necessarily to just dig it up and say like, oh, see how awesome the Talmud is, like everything is perfect, we had labor rights in the Tanaitic era. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's much more interesting to think about exactly what you said, that there was some guy back then who felt that this thing was important. And it's interesting that I also think it's important. <laughs> right. The point of Talmud study, to me, is that we dig up these seeds of liberation and beauty and queerness, and we don't just sit there and say, that's cool, everything was great back then. The point is we dig up these seeds, and we tend to them with our attention and learning. And that, in my mind makes it more likely that liberation and beauty and queerness will increase in the present. Yeah. And that's the point of Talmud study, is to dig up those seeds, and our study becomes the seeds that someone else will dig up in the future. Yeah, I think that's true. I think reading anything in general is the whole point, is to somehow change you. Right, and thus the world. Yeah, I think the way something like this changes me is it's hard to imagine a better future if you imagine that there was a very flat past, but if you go and you read the passage like this and you realize some guy who was thinking the same thing as you, that's very interesting. It, it's a way of relating to the past that makes you see how complicated and dynamic it was and reminds you of how complicated and dynamic and how many potential possible futures exist for us. Right. And I think having this attitude, having this practice of Talmud can help us have this kind of practice to other kinds of history. So like when I was preparing this episode, 
I was really thinking about the origins of the eight-hour workday, and I couldn't help but think about the Haymarket Massacre, which a lot of people commemorate on May Day, May 1st. The Haymarket Massacre, if you don't know, basically what happened is on May 3rd, police killed a person while they were protecting some strike breakers at the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company in Chicago. So the police killed a person while they were letting scabs in. And on the next day, in May 4th, there was a huge riot. A bunch of people died, including seven police officers. That is what's known as the Haymarket Massacre. And following up to that, eight people called the Chicago Eight who were supposedly involved in creating this riot and fomenting it and maybe tossing a stick of dynamite, they were convicted of murder. And even though their involvement was never proved, four of them were executed and one took his own life. This crazy, just huge amount of bloodshed and that was all related to the national campaign for the eight-hour workday, which that's the main part that I didn't know about this. You know, I knew about the Haymarket Massacre before, but I didn't know that it was in connection to this national campaign that all kinds of unions were doing for working for the eight-hour workday. That's why I think we have to have this Talmudic attitude towards other kinds of history, right? Because the sort of suffering that the labor movement had to go through as part of things like the Haymarket Massacre, that's something that needs to be a part of our consciousness in the present when we think about a way forward for like workers' rights now. It's one of those seeds that's in our own past. And so when we study Talmud, we sort of practice how to tend to those seeds. And it helps me, it helps my mind in a situation like this know how to relate to my own past. I think it bolsters confidence in supposedly radical views. Right. I mean, the eight-hour day was considered like an impossible goal, essentially, in its time. And really, it took a long time after the Haymarket Massacre for it to come around. Its first big victory was when eight-hour days were legislated for federal employees. It took like a long time just in dribs and drabs after that for it to become sort of a widespread practice. Even after all of that death, it took a long time for the struggle to even bear fruit. That is sad and encouraging. I think we should be pushing for the three-day work week. Yeah, hell yeah. I was also thinking about, did workers actually have this negotiation right in their time, or is it just something the Talmud is saying? The rabbis of the Talmud, especially in the Tanaitic period, really didn't have much legislative power, or really even communal power. The Roman government wasn't listening to them their own people weren't listening to them. They were just sort of in a circle jerk, which is great. You know, it's a circle jerk. That's the foundation of our lives today. A great point that a, a Twitter follower pointed out to me while I was asking about this is if we take the prophets in the Tanakh as any kind of example about what was going on back then, the workers did not have their rights. If you look at Isaiah 58, 5 and 7, which is like a very well-known passage, is this the fast I desire, a day for men to starve their bodies? Is it bowing the head like a bulrush and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call that a fast, a day when Adonai is favorable? No, this is the fast I desire, to unlock the fetters of wickedness and untie the cords of the yoke and let the oppressed go free, to break off every yoke. It is to share your bread with the hungry and take the wretched poor into your home. When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to ignore your own kin. So if we take that as a statement, what it tells me is that people were very oppressed and yoked and poor and hungry, which makes me think that even though we have this wonderful seed coming to us in the present, it is not an accurate depiction of how things were 
in Talmud times. Well, sure. If there's a law that was written down, it often means that there were lots of people doing the opposite of that law. Right. Exactly. We were probably all having barbecues and like doing the bestiality. <laughs> right. And forcing workers to come early and stay late against their own wishes. Yeah. So that's really all I have on this little section today. So thank you all for coming along on this journey of labor rights. I think next week I'm going to talk about actual unions in the Talmud, straight up collective bargaining. Really? Collective bargaining in the Talmud? Yeah. And I'm also going to relate that to the stop and shop strike of a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. So yes. tune in. I think we're going to do a couple more episodes on labor stuff. Great. I hope you all enjoyed this. I really like doing labor episodes. Coming up in the South, being an anarchist in the South, there's like no labor organizing down there. So the idea of labor organizing is like so fresh to me living in New England. Well, everyone, thanks for coming on this journey with us. Become a patron so you can get twice as many episodes because they're all this good. They are all this good. If you're only listening to four episodes a month, you're really depriving yourself of some hot shit you could be putting in your ears. You've inspired me. I think I'm going to try to bring some labor shit. I love it. I love that for us. Yeah, and I'm also going to talk about some contemporary stuff. Anyway, thanks for listening. Become a patron. Retweet our tweets. Like our things. Yada yada. Y'all are great. And we'll talk to you soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.